Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, this is Ryan Fraser. This is Troy Daney. This is Gus Boyet. This is Don Hutchison. This is Jürgen Klopp, and you're listening to The Big Interview with Graham Hunter. Thank you, Jürgen. I travel to all these interviews from Barcelona, and our socios, our beloved members, keep us on the road. This independent podcast wouldn't happen without them. Please go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter right now to join us, to become a socio and to get every interview we produce without adverts and before it goes out on the main feed, plus lots of bonus content, including the chance to put questions to our guests and to me via the monthly Q&A. You will also get bonus content every month, including the audio versions of my regular columns for ESPN. So do please go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter and join the club and get your family and friends to do so. Maybe even strangers in the street. Love you. Welcome to part two of the big interview with Jason McAteer of Bolton, Liverpool, Blackburn, Sunderland, Ireland, famously of Ireland. In this episode, we're going to talk about some really big names. Jason played alongside Roy Keane for Ireland for eight years and against him in the Premier League midfields for the same period. Roy, well, yeah, he's a complicated boy. Jason experienced both the good and bad of life in that orbit. And Mr. McAteer's hero growing up as a Liverpool fan was King Kenny Dalglish. Therefore, I ask you, picture the scene. He's in King Kenny's office at Blackburn Rovers, yet a £9 million deal for Jason and his Bolton teammate Alan Stubbs is on the table when the phone rings and it's Liverpool on the line. What happens next? Why? Wait, that's the wrong show. This isn't the Detective Series. This is the big interview. And this is the very listenable Jason McAteer. Enjoy, and if you do, please tell people, friends, family, strangers in the street, strangers in the night, strangers on the shore. This is Graham and I approve this message. This is something that you need to want to do. But people will have asked you about Roy Keane in a number of different ways. But we went back and we looked. You played against Roy a lot. And one of the things that distinguished Roy was he always had to win in various different ways. Whether it was the remote control in Wayne Rooney or on the pitch in a training, etc. 
I'd like it if you can, Jason, to try and in club games, or training in Ireland is different, but in club games, I mean in a competitive, when you had to go up against him, what were the things that Roy did that made him such a good player? Thinking about the way you talked about it, you surp- you'll have surprised a lot of people about Kaká, about him working back and getting his hands dirty and trying to tackle, because the thing that caught the eye was what he did with the ball when he had it. But And, and I see a lot of people who played with Roy with Ireland have said these things about his character or blah, blah, blah. I'm more interested in your assessment of what he was like to go up against at his peak as a footballer, at your peak and his peak as a footballer. I think if you look at Roy when he was growing up, I mean, I don't know where the, the winning... From me, I told you before, you know, coming from a boxing family and the way my father was with me and... And what have you. I don't know that with Roy. I don't know where that winning uh, mentality at all costs comes from. He, he could only tell you that. But if you look at his history as growing up, he was really small in comparison to his teammates. And, you know, for his age, he was really small. So, you know, I was very small until I was 15, 16. I was a late developer. And all of a sudden, I, grew, I, I woke up one day and I'd shot through the roof. And I think, Roy, it was a similar story. But, you know, from... From my experiences of being small and playing football at an early age, you've got to learn to read the game. You've got to learn to read it. And, you know, the first 10 yards is in your head. I know it's an old cliche, but it is. You know, you if if you can see it and you can get there first, you know, then then you're going to win the ball. And, and you've got to learn that. And I think that, that comes with, obviously, being small. He, he physically couldn't compete. Maybe he wasn't as quick. So he had to read the game to get there first. And, he, you know, one thing that he... He had, or one of the best attributes that he had was he was able to read the game in a manner which, you know, for me, made him one of the best midfielders in the world. He always seemed to be in the right place at the right time, whether it was scoring big goals like Juventus or or breaking tackles up or, you know, lending a hand, doubling up or whatever it may be. He he always seemed to read the game really, really well. Um, I think I learned more playing with him and being around him rather than playing against him. Um I didn't I didn't fear him playing against him because you know, I, I, I always had the attitude you don't fear anybody on the football pitch. You give as good as you get and it doesn't matter if everyone says he's the best, you've got to show everyone that you're the best. So I never feared him. And I you know, I come up against him with Sunderland. We we were a lot older then. And and our relationship was was quite weird. We were we weren't mates initially. Um we had difference of opinions early on. We were young. Um, we were a little bit immature, probably, the pair of us and different things we did. Then we we got older and wiser and more experienced and realised that there was a, a tribalism between Liverpool and Man United. So I think we had to dislike each other because of that. So we did. Um, and then I, you know, as I then, we, we go get into our later careers, you know, I knew what button to press, you know, to wind him up. I just knew how to get to him. And I think that Sunderland-Man United game, you know, I, I got in his head. I, I really got in his head. And it's like I said, it was all about winning. I said a few things to him to, to gain an advantage. I gained the advantage. Um, I set the equaliser up. He ended up get, elbowing me in the side of the head and getting sent off. And I walked off smiling. So, you know, I felt job was done. But what I learned from from playing with him is in the dressing room before a game, he demands, he, he demands that you, he, he demands full stop. You do everything right. 
Like you, you, you give a hundred percent. You don't shake tackles. You roll your sleeves up. You get your hands dirty, and you know he, he just demands it. And he's, you know, if he if he tells you off, you know you're getting told off. But that would sit well with you, Jason. That that it feels to me that that idea about doing things right, doing things to a hundred percent. That that would have sat very easily with you. There was, I, I wouldn't have thought there was much to teach you in that because you you had that. Mate, I, lo- I, I loved him and we were very, very similar because I, I seen this winning mentality and I had that winning mentality. But where, where I'd, I'd, I'd kind of disagree with that, right? So so I've got this thing, right? So we used to, we used to stay in the airport hotel in Dublin. We used to stay in this... I'm going to use the word poxy. It was like home from home, but it was... Listen, it weren't glamorous. It weren't no Ritz, put it that way. And we used to train on a on a muddy pitch out by the airport. And Jack used to name the team, mate, or try and give some tactics. And, the, you know, the eleven fifteen from Liverpool would be coming into Dublin, like, 40 foot above your head. <laughs> you couldn't hear who was playing or, like, what was going on. And it'd be like, did he just say I'm playing on Wednesday? I couldn't hear. And it was like, mate, and, like, we... You know, England would be swanning round in the latest Umbro tracksuits, mate, that were like a million dollars. We'd get the shit they didn't even want to wear, Ireland. We'd, we'd walk around in that shit, you know what I mean? It'd be like the dog and duck. But you know what, mate? I used to look at it and I used to think, that's what makes us who we are. That's what makes us who we are. If you give us the Ritz, if you give us the posh tracksuits and the posh training ground and the posh hotel... We ain't going to be the team that rolls our sleeves up against Croatia, against Brazil, against Italy, against Germany and beat them because that's who we are. That's who we are. And where we differ was Roy hated that. He hated that. He wanted to, you know, be in the nice hotel. He wanted a proper training ground. He wanted to do everything right in that sense. And I, I disagreed with him, you know, I thought, you take that away from us, we become half a team. You know, we we've you know we are who we are because of this, and you know we, we were like the dog and duck, but but we won games. I I get what Roy was saying. I I do get it. I get it. You know the World Cup stuff, two thousand and two. I get it. Preparation could have been better, but it's not us. It wasn't us. So, you know, we weren't Man United. We've got socios, we've got people who've supported us, who've been with us since day one, which by Easter will be six years. Um, two quick questions. One's from Chris Hennigan, and another one's from Robert McIntosh. Um, Jason, Chris is, like many Liverpool fans, I was frustrated after we signed you, in theory as a midfielder, he says, an area at the time that Liverpool needed energy, dynamism, just intelligence. He said, you ended up at right wing back. Despite your big success in that role, many people from that era still feel it was a case of what if, if you'd been more often a central midfielder for Liverpool. Do you share that? So that's one. Another one's shorter, but it's about Liverpool too. Robert McIntosh has got a good question here. And he says... Um, from what you know now, are there things in terms of sports psychology you could have said to the Liverpool team around 96, 97 that might have got them over the line or were Manchester United just a little bit better as a football side? Two 
vaguely related question, certainly in their the timeline. I mean, as you know, in a game, I mean, elites, but it's, it's fine margins, isn't it? it? It's such fine margins. We lost the FA Cup final because, you know, Eric Cantona scored a goal in the in the 84th minute. You know, it, it could have gone e- either way. It wasn't a spectacle. It wasn't a great game. And it certainly wasn't because we had white suits on before the match that we lost the game. You know, if we'd have, if we'd have won the game, we would have looked a million dollars. We lost the game and looked a million lira. So it was, I think the, the sports psychology question, it has to be broader. I, I, you know, I had a lot of counseling because I, I suffered depression when I finished. And now I'm, I'm talking to a sports psychologist and a clinical psychologist now just because I'm interested and because of various situations. But, you know, I'm fascinated with it. I'm fascinated with how the brain works, how, you know, things can be affected, how you can affect things and how you look at things and how you can be given a problem and, you know, you've got to find a solution rather than whatever. You know, so I'm fascinated. Uh, there was none of that, you know, mid-90s in football. It was probably the last thing to come in, you know, with the money, the diet, the, it, the sports psychology. It just wasn't there, mate, was it? It just, you know, wasn't offered to me. Where I, I think... And it goes right back to, you know, you said something right at the beginning of this about, about footballers. Mate, you know, I don't share this. I don't share this with a lot of people. But since we're on the, 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 the sports psychology of, of, of sport and how footballers are, are perceived, I've got this big thing about um, footballers at the end of the day are, are just human beings. You know, we're very privileged because we do something we love and we got paid financially very well for it. But that doesn't take away the fact that we have the same problems as my mate who's a plumber or my mate who's an electrician or, or yourself who's a fantastic journalist. We all share the same similar problems, whether it's to do with our relationships, life, growing up, adolescent, whatever it may be, we have them same problems. I, I went away with, with Ireland and my wife, uh, sorry, my, my girlfriend at the time was, um, was pregnant. She was about nine weeks pregnant. And I got a phone call on the Sunday night that she was losing the baby. And I flew back. Um, it was Sunday afternoon. I flew back Sunday night and we lost the baby. And I cried and cried and cried all night. And I got on a plane on the Monday morning and I flew back to Dublin. And the physio and the head of security, Tony Hickey and Mick Byrne, physio and head of security, were waiting on the runway for me. And I got off the plane and I cried my eyes out, cried my eyes out. And I went and met the lads who were at the pitches because Monday night was pitches night. And I went in and uh, I come out, Mick McCarthy gave me a big hug and he said, how are you? And I was in a state of shock. I went fine. And I played on the Wednesday. Um, you know, my girlfriend was all right. She had family around her and all that. I was in shock. I, did, I, just, I just didn't know what to do. I cannot remember the game. I can't remember the result. I couldn't even tell you now who we played. I could, I, all I remember is the pitches flying back and, and that's it. And, and then being on the runway. They're, the, they're the, the biggest things in my mind about that. And, you know, what I do take from that is I played in that game. There was 45,000 people there. They didn't have a clue. Not a clue what I'd just done. Not a clue. And they were... You know, they had their opinion about how I played, their opinion about who I was, this, that and the other. Not a clue what had just happened to me. Not a clue. And I had to, you know, I was young. I was about 27, maybe 28. Um, you know, and I had to get through that on my own. I didn't, I didn't have a clue, like, how to deal with that. 
the emotions of that, like what what you know what effect it was going to have on me. I was upset. I didn't know how to deal with it. You know, there was no psychologist around, and I, and I just remember thinking, no one's got a clue what I've just been through, and they all just judge me now about my how I play and how much money I earn and all this kind of stuff. And I am just like everybody else who that happens to, and like I, I don't know how to handle this. So I think in them respects, I think you know, sports psychology is is massive. I think it's there's a place for it. I think just for you know adversity like that. I think for social media. I think for young lads who don't know how to handle certain other situations. And I think it's paramount to get the best out of sports people, elite sports people to to deal with. But you know, at the end of the day, what I'm trying to say is, we're human beings. We're just human beings. Even though it's a long time and and you've chosen to share it, I'm really sad about you having to go through that. It's one of the the worst things that any human being, male or female, can go through. Um, at the time, were you even... Because, again, we're of different generations, but a lot of men who are of my age were not taught to share anything that's painful. Had there been a sports psychologist, it's not simply that you wouldn't have had adversity on your own. He or she, the sports psychologist, might have counselled Jack or whoever should play, shouldn't play, it's a good idea, it's a bad idea, but would you have been in a condition, would you have been able, would you have even thought about speaking to somebody back then? Because I think we're, I think, I see it in footballers, it's any admission of weakness, even now, I think it's, people in your position feel it's dangerous to admit pain or sorrow because it's seen as a weakness and the the culture was pretty toxic then, I think, about admitting, uh, lads, I'm in pain. Absolutely, mate, absolutely. I mean, I mean, I, I went back to, to, you know, an Irish squad that was very close, very close bunch of, bunch of lads. You know, I felt comfortable being around them. I think that was my comfort zone. I wanted to get back with them. You know, people go, you know, I, I speak to some of my mates, they go, how did you go back and play? It was like, I never went back to play. I went back to be with my mates. It was like, all right, the teammates, but be back with me, mates. The physio and, the, and Tony, they're on the, the, the runway and they just cuddled me and I, I'm crying my eyes out. It's like, you know, but... The dressing room was a, is a very harsh place, mate. Yeah, it's like there's no, there was no place to you know to discuss mental health problems. Why do I feel this way? I can't understand why I feel like that. You you couldn't do that because you were frightened of losing your place in the team. You were frightened of being sold. You were frightened of being different. You know, it was just one of them places. I mean. You know, we we were young lads. Like, I was 25 playing for Liverpool, trying to win the Premier League on 25 grand a week, which sounds great, but that comes with its own pressure because everyone wants a piece of it and you don't know what to do with it. You know, five years earlier, I'm, I'm earning 100 quid. You know what I mean? All of a sudden, I'm like, bloody hell. It was like mental. It's just like, how do you deal with that? You know, that, that, you know, that is a nice thing to deal with. But obviously, you know, the pressures of, of winning at that age is immense. But I wouldn't know, mate, back then, I didn't even know what a, a, th- a therapist was or a counsellor or a sports psychologist was. It was just never, you know, and to be, you know, to have a problem was just taboo to share it in the dressing room. You know, I, I might have shared things with Jamie or Babsy or, you know, on the QT, on the quiet, but, I, I you know, you ne- you'd wouldn't want to get back to the staff or, you know, the senior players. Not a chance. Before the rest of this big interview, I'd like to tell you that our entire archive of audio and video content is now on our new YouTube channel. 
We've begun filming all of our interviews, and there are already loads of clips with guests, including Rio Ferdinand, Connor Cody, Brendan Rogers, and Jamie Carragher, plus full interviews for you to watch and to share. Please do share with friends. Go to YouTube and search Graham Hunter, or click on the link in the show notes to this episode and become a subscriber. I honestly think you'll enjoy it. Thanks. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I don't want to be abrupt in my change of tone because you've been talking about serious, sore things. I'll maybe pick on our second sponsor's question and I won't guide you to the answer, but Alan Stubbs, I have to, to, to talk to you about. Their question is simple. Which player was, which player was the biggest influence in your career? Oh, wow, that's a great question. I don't think there's any one, one player you know, who, who made you know, the impact. I think different players at different times added so much to, to my career. I mentioned him before, Andy Walker, you know, learning to link up with the front man, you know, his attitude, the way he trained, the way he was, you know, he taught me a lot. Andy, I'm a big fan of Andy Walker's, John McGinn as well, Barnsley, you know, even Roy, even Roy Keane taught me a few things, even though we're a similar, similar age, you learn from players like that. Not one particular. I think if if you were saying to me one person had the biggest influence, I'd probably go back to Bruce Rayock. But obviously, I never played with him. He was my manager, but he didn't. He weren't a manager to me. He was. He was like he was like a father figure. He was he was just like a father figure. Okay, with George Michael's music and father figure echoing in our brain, what links you, Dennis Bergkamp, and Roberto Carlos? Bruce Rayoch. Why? Arsenal. <laughs> because when uh, Bruce, I mean, he left, didn't he? We'd got promoted and, you know, I thought I was going to leave before him and then he ended up going to Arsenal. And then my agent rings, obviously the Blackburn's involved, then Liverpool, they, they get involved. And then Bruce rings me, I'm at home. And um, Bruce just says, listen, I know you're a Liverpool fan. It, you know, I'm going to try 
I'd persuade you to come to Arsenal. Um, I want you and your mum to fly to London. We'll pick you up and just give me the opportunity to, to have a chat. He said, listen, I, I've got... Um, there was four players he wanted. There was four players. I can't... I, I can never remember the fourth, but I, I do remember Dennis Bergkamp, Roberto... And this is the first time, one and only time I've ever been put in the same sentence as these two. Dennis Bergkamp, Roberto Carlos and Jason McAteer were the three players. There was a fourth, but I can't remember who it was. And he uh, he wanted to sign them four players. And, and obviously he was, you know, he tried to sign me and I just said, listen, I'm going to Liverpool. And why did fear of, people won't know who Steve Carroll is, but why did fear of Steve Carroll nearly land you in some sort of secure location? What is your background in, in, in causing a threat to Britain's nuclear industry? You see, this is why you're one of the best journalists around because you're very, very good at keeping everything sort of in a nutshell. And what I mean by that is you've asked me a very... You've asked me such a broad question there, but it all relates back to that mini Metro I bought for (laughs) £2,000. So Steve Carroll was the reserve team manager at Bolton and we loved him. Like, yeah, he looked like Freddie Starr, to be honest. And... um, he, we had a, we had a game midweek. Reserve teams were like team games are Tuesday, Wednesday nights, aren't they? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday nights. Anyway, I picked the lads up from Aylwood and speak, and the arse was hanging out of this mini metro, and we're on the way in for the game. And next thing, all the lights come on on this mini metro. All three of them come on, and it's obviously the car is like it's given up. It's like I've had enough. I can't do it anymore. I just can't do it. So um. So I see this sign, car park, and there was these like, you know, the big, um, the big chimneys that you see, the big massive ones, right? And they were there and there was smoke coming out of them. So come off the motorway, see this sign, see this car park, just like razz into the car park, park the car up. And like one of the lads is like, runs to the phone box, he's on the phone, he rings, I'm not sure whether it was, he, he rings somebody who comes and gets us, his dad, or we managed to get a taxi. I can't quite remember that. So anyway, this car comes. We all dive in it. We all leg it. Like, we're legging it. So we got out the car. We're all legging it. So, like, next thing, we're, like, we're in this other car. We go to the game. We play the game. Just get in in time. Steve's, like, on the clock, isn't he? It's like, we just made it. So he gets in. Might have even just been a little bit late. Plays the game. Anyway, we finishes the game. There's two coppers. Right? <laughs> get called to the office. So there's two policemen come to see you. So we're, like... Oh my God, what's going on here? Like, first thing you think, like, family and all that, don't you? So we go in, and they're like, the cover, you can see them, like, they've, they've, like, they've put two and two together and they've come up with this, like, yeah, we know what's going on it. But they stay in, like, copper mode, policeman mode, don't they? So they go, um, yeah, uh, could you just watch this, this video, like a video? So next thing, he, like, gets the video cassette, it's like, tables there with the telly on it, the video, old video record, he put, puts it in, mate. It's this CCTV footage, right? It's like got all the numbers on the top and all like they're grainy. You see the mini metro pull in, like next thing I'm like, next thing four lads get out, we're like that, running down. It's British nuclear fuels, and they think it's like a terrorist attack. We're leaving like this this car, and four lads are legging it, and then they've realised that like it's my name linked to the car and whatever the phone got, and they've ended up at Bolton, and they realised I've said mate. My car's just packed up and we we had to get to the game because Steve was going to finals. And they're like, what? So then they explained how dangerous it was and from their point of view, they thought it was an act of terrorism. And Second time I've stood up for you in five minutes, 
Shouldn't it have been a little bit harder to get into the car park if it was a security? Exactly. Thing? I'd only say. Mate, I, I don't want to put it out there and I don't want to like put things in people's heads, but it's pretty easy. <laughs> <laughs> it ain't rocket science. Oh, well, it, mate. actually it is, but never mind. <laughs> um, <laughs> listen, I, 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 want to, I want to wrap up. You can choose if you speak about Harry's challenge. Stubbsy's saying to you. We, we had a Tim, Tim Sherwood interview in this series and Tim was on, on the train with his agent, Eric Hall, who'd who'd been an agent with Queen and Elton John and all this, and Eric Hall was taking him to Derby to sign for Arthur Cox and Kenny Dublish phones and says, come to Blackburn. And, and Tim has to say to Arthur Cox, I know I was going to sign, but Kenny Dublish, and Arthur Cox goes to him, lad, I, I wish you were come to us, but I understand, it's Kenny Dublish, off you go. Football doesn't work like that an awful lot. And, and your mate Stubbsy said that to you. This is a great story about friendship and saying, listen, Chase, if, it, if it's Liverpool, you, you've got to go there. That, to me, is extraordinary. Harry's challenge. And you can pick one of those to speak about, and then we're going to finish on sliding doors, because uh, I have to ask you about sliding doors moments in life. So, Harry's challenge, Stubbsy saying, I give you my blessing, go to Anfield. You, you, you choose, boss, you choose. Yeah, I think the Stubbsy one, because it keeps with the Bolton theme and... You know, the cars and we spoke about him and Kenny, you, you just mentioned Tim and Kenny. You know, obviously I got that phone call as well. Um, yeah, mate, we, we get the phone call on the way into training. Our agent says, uh, Blackburn have agreed nine million quid, uh, for you and Alan. Can you turn the car around, go and have talks with Kenny Daglish and Ray Arford in a hotel up the, uh, up the East Lanks? So that obviously that's eight and a half million quid for me and 500 grand for Stubbsy, innit? <laughs> I'm only letting you keep that in if you tell me how many times you've used that line. <laughs> mate, all the time. Well, to be honest, mate, the figures never come out. I mean, everyone just assumes it was it was 50-50, four and a half each. I'm not having it. Mate, I was miles better than Stubbsy. Anyway, and this is Alan, not Ray, I'm talking about. So, um, so, so yeah, so we, we, uh, we get up the East Lanks Road, and we go into the hotel, agents there, and uh, we go in, and I go in first, and... Stubbsy's a massive Everton fan. So obviously I'm a massive Liverpool fan. Goes in, I'm having talks with Kenny. I'm like starstruck. I'm starstruck. It's like Kenny Daglish sitting right in front of me. Not only sitting in front of me, wants to pay eight and a half million quid for me. <laughs> so anyway, we're having these talks. He's telling me, like he's trying to sell the club and what's going on to me. They just won the Premier League. Halfway through the meeting, my agent's phone goes. He goes out the room. So I'm like sitting here like that. So next week he comes back in and uh, he goes, uh, Kenny... He said, Liverpool have been on the phone. He said, um, they want to sign Jason for four and a half million quid. So Kenny just went, the deal's off. Deal's off. He said, I signed both players or none. So I'm like, whoa. So Kenny says, go and talk to Alan, see what he thinks. So I go out and I go to Stubbsy. Stubbsy, listen, Liverpool have just been been on the, they've agreed four and a half million quid. And I've got to be fair to him, mate. It's like amazing. He's just gone to me, you've got to sign for him. So he goes, I know you're a massive Liverpool fan. And I went, but Stubbsy, like, it's it's the two of us or none. It's like, you know, I, I, it's, we both go to Blackburn. He goes, I don't care. He said, this is your opportunity to sign for Liverpool. And he went to me, he went, I know if it was Everton and the shoe was on the other foot, you would do it for me. I remember thinking, is he sure there's not a chance I would do that? <laughs> <laughs> there's not a chance. And I was like, cheers, Stubbsy, mate. <laughs> and do you know what the mad thing is, Graham? Get onto this, right? 
the mad thing is, the week before, right, we were on match of the day, right? And we got interviewed after the game. And me and Stubbsy done the interview and the presenter, the, the, the fellow went, um, so I believe that there's uh, a transfer imminent with, with you two, like, leaving the football club. And I just remember Stubbsy going, watch this space. <laughs> and the next thing, like, we end up having talks with Blackburn. He, I, I bin him. He has to go back to Black. Uh, he has to go back to Bolton. I'm bugging off to Liverpool. He come out, run out for Bolton. He got booed. The Bolton fans booed him. <laughs> Mate, I'm like that running out at Anfield. <laughs> oh, Stubbsy. Oh, mate, it's brilliant. You couldn't buy it. You could not buy it. Friendship needs to be a really elastic, powerful thing because it gets stretched at times. But he he did you a square one then. Jason, this has been an experience which is exactly as I anticipate. And all the research I did made me think, yeah, I'm going to enjoy this and I have. But I'm still going to close on a difficult one. 1963... This mad St. Johnston centre forward goes to Ibrox to play Rangers. And I think scores three times. Um, the first time that any um, Scottish striker had gone there and scored three times. And it, and it prevents him from emigrating to Canada. And it, his name's Ferguson, Alex Ferguson. And he'd been so sick of life in Scotland and how things were going for him in football that he'd got his papers to emigrate to Canada and he ducked out of a, of a midweek match for St Johnson, got Martin, his brother's girlfriend, to phone and say he was sick and he got such a rocket from his mum and from St Johnson that he went back, turned up for you're in the first team against Rangers on Saturday, turned up, scores three thinks, ah this is okay and here we are later, he's Sir Alex Ferguson and he's done all the things that have pissed you off over the years <laughs> you didn't go to Ohio but Ohio and Tiffin John and, and so on was the moment when some sort of pressure went off your shoulders. You, you, you played brilliant for Marine, you, you caught Bolton's eye and your life changed. Do you ever think, or if you do think now about, you know, because America was for you as well, if you think about <clears throat> the, the impact that World Cup had on you. Do you ever think of what Jason McAteer, you know, spent the last 30 years in the States might have experienced, might have been like... I'm certain with what you've gone through, there won't be many regrets, so I'm not talking about that. But the sliding doors moment, if I just... Let's say you hadn't played that brilliantly against Marine, or you hadn't gone back because you are homesick, and you'd stayed out there rather than coming home for Christmas. And, and all the things that, that that land of opportunity holds, the types of opportunities, the fact that they were going to provide a house for your mum, all, all the kind of stuff. Do you ever stop to think, or if you do think now... What would life have been like for Jason McAteer if the sliding doors moment had been the other way? Yeah, I'd definitely been working in Hooters for a bit. I know, I know, I would have been, I would have done that, <laughs> and going to Disney every summer. Yeah, I mean, how it could have been so different. You know, I get asked that question a lot. You know, like what would, what if this had happened and stuff. But yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a difficult one, isn't it? It's, it's a difficult one. What, what could, could have been? You know what? I don't know, but would I be sitting here, you know, talking to you? It, I, I wouldn't, would I? So I think you've got to thank or, or look at it that everything happens for a reason and, and we are where we are. I mean, don't get me wrong, it was a tremendous opportunity. Um, you know, I've been over there for three months. I come back and like you say, it was, I was just in the right place at the, at the right time. It was, 
you know, it was phenomenal how it happened. It probably won't ever happen again. You know, a kid signing from from non-league, 20 years of age, he's playing in the World Cup four years later, goes and plays for Liverpool and, you know, it it, it is that Roy the Rovers story. Unfortunately, I've got no shiny stuff to go with it, but, you know, that doesn't bother me. I, I just look at it as, you know, what an opportunity I, I, I got given. Um, don't get me wrong, I worked hard. I'm not saying it was given to me, but I worked damn hard to get there and, like you say, you know, through plenty of adversity and knockbacks, but, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know... I don't know, mate. I, I had no idea. I was lost. I'd signed on the dole when I was 19. I'd signed on the dole. Um, that's where I was at with my career. You know, I was playing local football, semi-pressure for Marine, waiting in a pub, doing a graphic design course at college. I'd finished that. I had nowhere to go. America was was beckoning because of a scholarship, but I'd signed on the dole. So, who knows? Who knows? It tells you that dreams can come true. Um, your one has been a, 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 a pretty impressive one. It's been good of you to share it with us. I, I particularly, I don't need to wish you luck with your golf game because the amount of practice that you put into when you speak to yourself. Um, I can see single figures, low single figures, handicap really soon. I wish you luck with the just the work you're doing on the mind. That's a, a long term and it's an intricate project. It's good that you're doing it. Um, I could do with it, maybe just because I'm older and more hidebound. I try to keep it all in. That's a bad idea, probably. But I wish you strength and, and success with that. And and, and soon, I, I suppose, I wish you what you want um, in the world of, of sport, um, whether it be management, whether it be um, football director, whatever it is, more analysis. It, for the football world is a better place uh, with Jason McAteer in it. I've enjoyed it a lot. You've been generous. The big interview thanks you. I hope that it hasn't been boring. There you are. Uh, it's been an absolute privilege, mate, and I'm, I'm glad that you've had me on. It has been brilliant. Thank you for listening to The Big Interview. It's produced by me, which sounds egotistical, but it's also true. Graham Hunter... And back page. Our music is by Beer Jacket, who else? Editing by Charlie McGarry. Thank you to our hosts at ACAST and our loyal sponsors at Bet365. We're also supported by our socios. Find out how to become a socio, how to support us at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. Here end of the lesson. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.